Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. First Peter chapter 4. We will be done with this book, letter, um, at the end of this month, and in March, uh, I think that's right, March 1st, we're going to start Revelation. And so, what's that? Yeah, that's what I said. April 1st, because we're late. So, yeah, I appreciate y'all. Did I tell you I appreciate y'all, but I don't really appreciate y'all sometimes? But we're going to start the book of Revelation. And we're going we're to be a little more macro than we have been micro in this to give a 30,000-foot view of something that is so incredible. But So we're in chapter 4. So our, we're going to read through verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already passed is sufficient for you and have carried to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and that they malign you but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Amen. I, I love the practicality of the book of Peter. So he's essentially saying one thing. He said, listen, I need you to... To stand strong is the context of the letter. But as we move from section one to section two, you know, we move from uh, stand strong in the fact that you are have been saved, that Christ paid a price for you. So stand strong in that to this part, because there's three parts in the book to where we stand strong as an example before men. But here, as he finishes the last section before the second section, before he moves into the third section, he says two words. He says, arm yourselves. It's almost as though he's decided to take a more emphatic note, like he's really intent on emphasizing the intentionality from which we stand strong. Because I could tell you, I've, I've been a soldier. I've been a police officer. And I could, I could tell you, most soldiers, most law enforcement officers, most warrior people that have that mentality, whether they've been in military or law enforcement or not, there's a, there's a warrior class of people amongst us that if you gave them a target, if you told them, stand strong and oppose this, whatever this is, they would do it. Armed or unarmed, they would stand there and face down evil if it took bare-knuckle fight. But there is something 
what's more significant about someone willing to fight when they are armed to fight? Like, I can stand in the face of terror. I can stand in the face of the enemy. I can stand in all these things. But we have been given weapons of warfare that we be armed for the fight. And so he, he tells us, arm yourself. And then he explains some things we should arm ourselves with because we need to understand that, that we're in a battle. We are intended to stand strong. The enemy is real. He is coming against us. He will continue to come against us, more specifically, uh, his his underlings will come against us because he's not omnipresent. There's a decent chance he doesn't even know who you are. Uh, and I know that blows y'all up some because you're all, man, Satan's attacking me. Satan's probably not got time for you. He's dealing with somebody that's actually making it a huge, like saving thousands and thousands of people or something. Anyway, I'm not going to get into the theology of that. <laughs> but my point is we should arm ourselves so that we don't just stand firm in the fight but that we stand firm acknowledging and recognizing that we have been equipped properly to not just stand but to defeat the enemy amen that's so big and so he tells us to arm ourselves and so he says this he says he says there's a couple things you should arm yourself with and he doesn't say that specifically, but contextualizing and principalizing the text. The first thing he says is, we are to be armed with the attitude of Christ. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Man, Pastor Jim, you talk a lot about suffering. It's because Peter talks a lot about suffering. And so he says, Arm yourself for the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And so, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. We should have the attitude that Christ had. What attitude did Christ have? Christ had an attitude that we, he was willing to suffer at whatever cost for the betterment of us. It's impressive to me. Hebrews 12.2 says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, which means he, he wrote it and edited it and made sure it was perfect. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Despising, everybody say despising. Despising the shame. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Despising. I had you specifically state that word for a reason. Because it, it demonstrates. There's two things here that strongly demonstrate his attitude. Actually three. One. His attitude was that he was fixed. It says he set his face towards Jerusalem. It says when his time came to go to Jerusalem. He set his face as flint or as stone. He he focused there. He wasn't going to be distracted from there. And so we should have the same purpose as we move towards eternity. As we live this life, we should have our eyes fixed as Jesus had his eyes fixed. And to do so joyfully. Not, not humdrum or in a mundane kind of way. Because who wants to be like that guy? Well, you know, I'm just loving the Lord today. 
I'm doing the best I can. The devil's attacking me. How about this instead? By the power of the Holy Spirit, I stand strong and am armed for the purpose of suffering for the sake of Christ so that other people might come to know Christ too. And I'm excited that I get the opportunity to have suffered for Christ Jesus. This is the attitude of the apostles as they were leaving having been flogged to go back to their home church. They said they celebrated that they were found worthy to, to suffer for the name of Jesus. And this is the attitude that Jesus had, that he fixed his face, so we should do what? We should fix our face. He had the attitude of joy, so we should be joyful. But he also had the attitude that he was going to despise the shame, which literally means to think little or nothing of. That, that messes me up, man. Can I tell you that messes me up? It should mess you up too because I want you to think about the shame that he put himself through. The king of all creation whose very existence created all that exists came here, was dirty, was gross. And when I say gross, I mean dirty. You just he, he had this perfect to move to imperfection. You imagine having the worst OCD in the world and never being able to be clean enough? Now imagine Jesus having been perfect for his whole life and never, and then happened to be even cleaner than everyone else on earth, but still gross. He did that for us. He took a beating for us. He was nailed to a tree, accursed. Because anything that hangs from a tree is accursed, according to the Word of God. For us. He allowed somewhere upwards of 600 people, warriors, to beat on him. Rip the flesh from his bones. All of these things. And I don't mean to be grotesque, but this is what you need to understand. Jesus did for us. And he did it with his eyes fixed towards doing it. He did it with joy because he knew the reward that was coming. And he did it while despising the shame, which he's all. I'm not even going to worry about that. I'm not going to worry about this beating. I'm not going to worry about this filth. I'm not going to worry about these dirty feet that I'm about to wash or this, this food that I'm going to have to eat. I'm not going to worry about any of that because this population of people, this creation, these people that I love, if I don't come to a place where I think nothing of the shame of it are damned to eternity. And so we should have that same suffering attitude. So he says this. It's, it, Christ suffered in the flesh. And so arm ourselves for the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. This is another area we get messed up. It doesn't say those who have died have ceased, have ceased from sin. He said those who suffer in the flesh cease from sin. We should cease from sin. Jesus Christ fixed his face, found joy, despised the shame so that we had the opportunity to cease from our sin. 
And so we're willing to suffer. You know why I'm willing to suffer? Because when in my suffering, I'm being perfected according to the word of God. And after I die, because of my suffering, I will be made perfect according to the word of God. So arm yourself. Arm yourself with the attitude that Jesus had. Because the attitude that Jesus had saved you. Not us. I mean us also. But you. This should be a reason for self-reflection. Because at the end of the day, we are responsible for us. To cease from sin. To be obedient. As the word of God tells us to be obedient. To stop the lust of the flesh. The sensuality. The drunkenness. The carousing. The drinking parties. The abominable idolatries. All of these things. We're supposed to arm ourselves. Not only with an attitude of suffering. Because Jesus had an attitude of suffering. But we are to be armed with the will of God. Verse 2. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Stop living for yourself. Take off the old self. Put on the new self. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He talks about it in Colossians. He talks about it in Galatians. And in each one of these areas, in each one of these books, and probably multiple other places, he says, these people that commit these sins and names them very specifically will not what? Inherit the kingdom of God. You don't have to like that. Because the truth doesn't consider your feelings. It just is what it is. We are led to live according to the will of God. Not the, not the will of God as we understand it or we've been taught falsely about it. This is such the danger of the church. Is that someone so willing to teach us, but they're not, they're not themselves in the word enough to understand it. And so you think you're doing all right. Because they've tickled your ears instead of telling you the truth. But can I tell you, if I were to do that, I'm going to be accountable for that. But your lack of obedience is still going to send you to hell. So you have a personal responsibility. Make sure you're in the right church doing the right thing. Oh, but my pastor taught me wrong. But I gave you the Spirit of God. And the word of God. So that you could confirm or deny what he was telling you was true. Because it's not our obedience to what he taught us. It's our obedience to the wor word of God. To the will of God. Arm ourselves with the will of God. That's how people get messed up in Matthew 7.21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will inherit. Your responsible for you ultimately I, it freaks me out that people go from church to church without any consideration of what they believe or without ever challenging their pastor I don't I don't tell you challenge me because I enjoy to be challenged I don't like it I don't like t people telling me what to do like people telling me I'm wrong. Who likes that? 
But you know what? I'd rather you have the fortitude to tell me I'm wrong. Let's divide the word together to confirm whether I'm wrong or whether I'm telling you the truth so that you might know the will of God. And potentially, I might understand the will of God too. Anyway. <laughs> we are to be armed with who we are, not who we were. We are to be armed with who we are, not who we were. Verses 3 through 5 is essentially the crux of this text. It says, For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And all this, they are surprised that you not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, which means excessiveness. And they malign you but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You need to arm yourself with who you are, not who you were. Can I tell you, it's equally important that you not arm who you are, yourself with who you are, but protect who you are. This, this, this hits home me because it says in all this they the people that are still running in their excesses are surprised that you don't run with them you guys remember when you first got saved and I, I remember specifically because I was so much older than a lot of folks when I got saved and my buddies are all hey man let's go drinking or let's go do this, or let's go do that. I'm like, man, I can't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. I'm committed to my wife now. I love her. She's awesome. Whatever. And they're like, ah, oh, look at you. You've got all week, man. You're, you, you don't care about us, and blah, 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 blah. Can I tell you, I had to separate myself from a bunch of people that I loved to make sure that I didn't fall back into that, because back in that day, all it took was, come on, man. You're going to let the word of God keep you from doing something? It would have taken not much more than that when I was first saved to make me go, all right, maybe just this one time. And then they, when you don't do that, when you say, you know what, I'm going to commit my life to this, their opinion be whatever it is. They're going to talk trash about you. They're going to malign you. They're going to say, Cubic thinks he's better than us now. Let me tell you, I am. Because they don't know Jesus. At the very least, I'm better off than them. Let them malign you. They malign Jesus. But don't get mad about it. Because they despised him or they, they hated him, but he didn't hate them back. Stop worrying about who you were. Start focusing and protecting, arming yourself with who you are. And protect that at all costs. Because they're not responsible for you. They're not going to answer at the throne of God for you. You are. Amen? We are to arm ourselves with a hope of eternal life. Verse 6. For the gospel has, for this purpose, been preached even to those who are dead, 
that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. Arm yourself with the eternal, with the hope of eternal life. Stand strong. Sometimes you got to do a little more than that. Sometimes you got to set your face as flint. Sometimes you got to just count it all joy. Sometimes you have to despise the shame. You know why? Because Jesus is coming back. Because at some point, that trumpet's going to sound. And, and you might be thinking, if you're, if you're watching this on camera or whatever, you might be thinking, that's ridiculous. Let me tell you, every person that's ever passed away into the presence of God may have thought that was ridiculous until they come face to face with God. But I promise you that every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Arm yourself for eternity, because eternity's coming, which is the, the next section that we start next week. Stand strong, because Jesus is coming back. Amen?